Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to have another session looking at the keys to the kingdom. And, of course, a lot of people think that the answer is the Bible, and the answers are there at the Bible. I'm not going to say they're in the Bible. The answer is in the Holy Spirit and in the Father. But the Bible is a reference book to a number of people throughout history who were inspired by God and wrote things down and passed that those uh, written uh, books down to us through what we call the Bible, which was put together by a number of different people. Uh, Subius uh, compiled a certain number of these books that were inspired. There's no evidence that the only thing that was ever inspired are all in the Bible because it actually says all scripture, when it says the word scripture, the Greek word is writings, are given. It doesn't just say the Bible is given. It says all writings. And what writings are communications from me to you or from whoever wrote it to you. And if that individual is inspired, and almost everybody could be inspired, and not everybody is inspired, and certainly not everybody is inspired by God. They may be inspired by all kinds of other things and all kinds of other motivations. But the fact is, is that when you read the Bible, the question is, are you inspired to understand the inspiration of the original author? Are you inspired to see through uh, language and uh, and translators and and the words that are put there. I mean, somebody had to teach you how to read. If you're reading the Bible in English, somebody had to teach you how to read English. And they taught you the meaning of words, and you look those meanings of words up, and that becomes influential. What you think words mean becomes influential, and in what you think the Bible is saying. Because, you know, people say King James only. A lot of people like the King James only. As if that's a guarantee that you're going to understand what is written in the Bible because you got this special translation that is supposed to be so perfect. I don't personally think it's perfect. I use it all the time, but I don't think it's perfect. But my understanding of English may not be perfect. You know, read the word religion. I may think one definition, but a hundred years ago there was another definition. And two hundred years ago there was a different definition. And two thousand years ago there may have been a different definition. But I just apply the one that's in my head. And I come to a conclusion that what they mean is this or that. And I may be wrong. But if I'm inspired, I will sense no that I am wrong and ponder and look until I find out what the true answer is. The old story of the the guy going around saying, nope, that's not it. Picking up paper, nope, that's not it. Told that joke many times. And eventually they hand him a, a discharge from the army because he seems like he's crazy. He goes around and picks up these papers all the time. And every time he picks one up, he looks at it and says, nope, that's not it. And he throws it away. But when they handed him the discharge from the army, he looked at it and he said, ah, that's it. <laughs> His looking brought about 
the answer. And that's why Christ's gospel begins with the command to seek. Because you have to look. You have to desire to know, to see the truth. So what are we supposed to be seeking? Well, obviously the truth, because the truth will set us free. But we're, he specifically said to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. That's what we were supposed to seek. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, that's why we have these shows to try to give you an idea of what the kingdom of God is. But you need to be inspired to understand the message that we are actually trying to impart to you. The same as you need to be inspired to read the Bible. And inspired to understand the Bible. You cannot understand it if you're not being inspired by the Holy Spirit. You will misunderstand the Bible. So, anyway, this week, somebody uh, put together a video. Uh, I'm going to put a link to it on uh, preparing you under our videos so that you can see it. And it was a program. I don't know when the program, I did the program. I, clearly, by the tone of my voice, I must have been in a mood. <laughs> but uh, somebody picked that particular recording and, and put it to a video and then has uh, pictures of uh, Norway in the background. And... Uh, uh, you know, for us as visual creatures and as well as audio creatures that we hear and we see, uh, I thought the video was well done. I, I, I don't know if there's any, uh, uh, copyright infringement. I haven't talked to him about that, but we will probably talk again. We, he's one of the ministers. Uh, and trustees of the church and so therefore we have meetings every week and uh, he often is on them but anyway he's uh, it was Mark from Melbourne but anyway we shared it on the network if you didn't hear it or didn't uh, see it uh, it's because you're probably not on the network <laughs> so anyway the uh, and you need to be on the network and the network is just an email group I had a call from somebody from Canada and I need to continue to follow that up and I talked to him for about an hour and, uh, you know, he read certain pages and then decided to call me from Canada and he's looking for to sit down face to face with other people in Canada. He's not good on the internet and he didn't know if he could join the network, uh, but he wanted to have face to face communication with real people. Well, Canada on our group has not been very active. We have had people that started to form congregations, but then they... They got sidetracked and they went another way. And so Canada has to get its own act together. And being the socialist type nation that it is, it's hard to get people to actually, everybody's got an excuse. You know, oh yeah, I don't, I, well, I don't know how that's done. I don't want to do that. And of course, this guy, John, he had an excuse why he couldn't get on the network. Really, it's a good, if you're already, if you found us on the internet, you should be able to get onto the Living Network. And the Living Network is, uh, or the network that we have, we sometimes call the Living Network, is actually, you start with a series of email groups, you get on one based on geography, so there's one for Canada. But once you're on the Canadian group, everybody on the Canadian group can write each other. 
if we get hundreds and hundreds of people on the Canadian group and it gets to be congested, we will start dividing off Saskatchewan and, and Ontario. He's in the Ontario area. Uh, from each other and they will have their own groups. But they're all linked because the idea to form the actual living network that Christ commanded us to do was to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Now, he commanded us to do that because he knew there is no other better, more practical way of practicing pure religion through a daily ministration of faith, hope, and charity. There is no other practical way. And so, of course, Christ commanded that his apostles make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. If your ministers haven't told you that, you probably need a different minister or your minister needs to have some new lessons added to his already large repertoire of studies. Because he's probably not practicing pure religion. Most churches do not practice pure religion. I don't I don't know of a church. We don't even practice pure religion. We're still seeking people who will gather together and practice pure religion. I'm not eating, uh, you know, of the world. I'm not participating in the world. But a lot of the people in our congregations, they are because the people aren't really completely gathering in the congregations as Christ intended. They're in that process of seeking that. But if you won't even sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you're not going to get there. there's just no other way. That's why Christ was so adamant about, I mean, how often did he tell his apostles to command them to make the people do anything? So, but that's not really the topic of today. The topic of today, I'm not going to, it's, again, it's a continuation of the general topic of structure. But uh, when that uh, video uh, from Mark was put up. I shared it and some people looked at it. I shared it on Facebook first. I, that's where I first saw it. And, uh, they, uh, I shared it with some other people on Facebook and I, I got some strange comments back. And one of them was, uh, from a fellow who quoted, uh, Joel Tiffany, who wrote a, a number of books. One of them was, uh, Man, and his destiny. But he actually wrote books on law and books on trust and books on metaphysical books even uh, that were uh, dealing with, you know, um, I think actually astral travel even. <laughs> I'm not sure. I haven't read all the books. But he quoted a big long section and, and pasted it into Facebook and I'm looking at it and I'm reading it. And it was actually, to me, it was rather painful to read because it it was so off and so anyway I copied and pasted some of it down in my notes here and I thought I'd go over some of the things you know I'm not going to go into all the details but one topic came up in this uh, whole long dissertation that he posted on Facebook and it was about dispensation the Mosaic Dispensation. I'd like to say that the word dispensation doesn't even show up in the Bible, but the reality is it does show up in the Bible. But the word that they translate into dispensation doesn't mean dispensation. So so 
you know, I mean, it's in the King James Bible. It's not always translated dispensation. Almost half the time it's translated something else. It really doesn't mean dispensation. The definition of it doesn't mean dispensation. But somehow or other they got it in there. And so anyway, this guy, uh, Joel Tiffany, begins to talk about mosaic dispensation. And I hear this a lot in modern theologies and eschatologies and and uh, all the other ologies that people come up with to, to supposedly study the Bible, which is all private interpretation, because the Bible is really not given to private interpretation. Just because you have a degree, your interpretation is still your private interpretation. And what they're saying when they're saying the Bible is not given to private interpretation is what I said at the beginning of the show, is that you need to be divinely inspired to interpret the Bible. You, in other words, you don't interpret it. The Holy Spirit interprets it. So what, what is the distinction there? I'll give you a little hint. Because that's a, that's a big statement. To, to say that. When you're reading the Bible, are you reading from the tree of knowledge or are you reading from the tree of life? Are you eating of the tree of life or are you eating of the tree of knowledge? Are you reading the Bible to get knowledge? To decide what is good and evil? I mean, Bibles, they're made out of paper. Paper's made out of trees. And that's one of the, is, have you made the Bible an idol? That's what, you know, an idol is something that you make, you take a, take a big hunk of wood and you hack away and you create this idol. Well, you take a big hunk of wood and you break it down to make pulp and then you print on it and you make the Bible. Has the Bible become your idol? Are you eating of the tree of life or eating of the tree of knowledge? Because if you're eating of the tree of knowledge, you're going to get it wrong. So it's not about knowledge. It's about inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's really important. But he begins talking about the Mosaic dispensation. The sanction of the law are found in an appeal to the selfish uh, in the soul. And man is caused to obey through fear of the penalty inflicted upon the disobedient, rather than from love of that which the law requires. So, supposedly there's this mosaic dispensation. Although the word dispensation, again, doesn't appear anywhere in the Old Testament at all, even mistranslated. It's just not in there. So what is mosaic dispensation? Well, at least one definition is an appointment, arrangement, or favor as by God, a divinely appointed order or age, the old mosaic or Jewish dispensation, the new gospel or Christian dispensation. So that's a definition. But a definition of dispensation itself in theology is one mean of the term dispensation is as distinctive arrangement or period in history that forms the framework through which God relates to mankind. So, what most people think of as the Mosaic dispensation is heavily dependent upon the view of Moses from the point of view of at least the Pharisees, if not the Sadducees and 
and zealots. And that was supposedly the Mosaic dispensation. The problem is they had it wrong. Many of them have it wrong today. The the Pharisees or the Jews have it wrong today. The real problem is that most of you Christians have it wrong today too. Because you talk about a Christian dispensation. And a Mosaic dispensation. And none of those dispensations as they are usually presented exist. Because God is the same yesterday as he is today. And what Christ was doing away with was not a mosaic dispensation, but a view of the Old Testament that was corrupted and incorrect. And so, what is the correct view? (laughs) What is the right way to look at things? Well, let's go back to that word dispensation because I said that, you know, it does appear in the Bible. And we see it uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 9.17. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if, if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. A dispensation. So there we see the word dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. We see it again in Ephesians. There's only four places that we see this word dispensation in the English. There's other places where we see the original Greek word. But the where we see dispensation in Ephesians 1.10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So, what does that mean? Uh, Because we're reading this word dispensation here. See, when I read that, and I read the word dispensation of the fullness of times, and of course that's what says dispensation is this period of time, I think, oh, well, something doesn't make sense. It just doesn't fit for me. So, I have to go back to the Greek sometimes to seek that answer as to why that doesn't seem right. What There's actually several other words in that particular verse that jump out at me as like, something's wrong with that. It doesn't flow with the Spirit. There's, there's an error in the translation. I, I guess there's really no other way to say it. It doesn't matter. I would still use the King James. But the error is in the fact that we think that we can decipher the inspiration and obtain the inspiration of the Bible by reading the Bible. That's like saying, I can obtain life by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not the same thing. Uh, in Ephesians 3.2, we see also, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word. So, it sounds like, now now that almost seems like that could fit, because that sentence, you know, heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. And, And the word grace there does, could fit with the word dispensation, but that, again, it's not the actual Greek word for dispensation. Colossians 1.25 has, whereof I am 
made a minister according to the dispensation of God. Now, see, now, to me, that jumps right out. Like, dispensation of God. What is he talking about? Uh, well, let's read the rest of it. Which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So, what was actually given to Paul? What What was given to the apostles? According to the dispensation of God, which was given. So, what is that word that we keep reading as dispensation? And they've created whole theologies around this word dispensation because of the fact that they've got it translated into English. But what is the word? Okonomio? That's actually what it is. Okonomio. Uh, or nomia. What does it actually mean? Well, it's a noun. It's a feminine noun. It is translated dispensation those four times. But it's also translated stewardship. That's right. The word is translated stewardship. So what does dispensation have to do with stewardship? Should the word even be stewardship? Well, let's take a look at the definition of the word, the Greek word, that we see in here. Because we actually see the word uh, in Luke several times when Christ says it but it's not translated dispensation when Christ says it only when Paul says it so <laughs> so what it what is going on here what what is that word and why do they say stewardship the definition of that word is the management of a household or a household affairs especially the management oversight administration of others property the property of others so, the dispensation that Paul is talking about is the management of the property of others. He's not talking about a period of time. He's not talking about the dispensation of Christ where we're now, you know, supposed to get out of having to pay for things that uh, we should pay for. Because we have this dispensation. It's the actual administration of the kingdom of God. The oversight. See, Paul had oversight. You know, just like Peter. Look out amongst yourselves. Pick men you trust. And we will appoint them over this business. That's, that's oversight. You pick them. But we appoint them. Why did they, the church have to appoint them? For the same reason that Christ commanded them to make the people sit down on the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because there is structure to the kingdom of God. There is a pattern. There is a spirit, but there's also a structure. I mean, there's a structure in your body and there's a structure in the kingdom. And we're going to talk more about that structure when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom and see if you can't figure it out. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, what's the difference between dispensation and stewardship? Because when we see the word Jesus using the word that Paul uses, they translate it stewardship, but when Paul uses it, they translate it dispensation. So, you know, you'd almost have to go back to when the King James Bible was translated. And find out what the word dispensation meant. <laughs> but even the word stewardship is not 100% right. And, you know, it's kind of interesting the fact that this uh, 
guy who wrote this uh, thing that was posted to Facebook, Joel Tiffany, wrote also on trusts. But he's talking about mosaic dispensation when he's actually should be talking about mosaic stewardship and uh, and Christian stewardship. Because as we pointed out, that and it was written this way in the early church, is that the ministers of Christ took over the job of the Levites. And the Levites were to serve the tabernacles of the congregation, the tents of the congregation. And they had stewardship. But they didn't, there's nowhere, you know, they collected a tithe, but they had, they did not force the tithe. The force, the tithe was a free will offering. Because Israel was a free nation. It wasn't until they decided to have a king that they got the first forced offering under Saul. And then under Solomon there was even more, and under Rehoboam there was even more, and then there was division, and there was civil war, and then there was captivity, etc., etc. And of course that's where Christianity is today. Is Christianity has abandoned the ways of Christ. Modern Christianity Real Christianity has not, obviously. The real Christians are following the way, but it's hard to find any real Christians. I can find you lots of people who say they're Christians, but they're not real Christians. Because they're not doing what Christ said. And if, if the definition of a Christian is a follower of Christ, they'd have to be doing what Christ said. And, but... The fact that I'm mentioning this to you is just giving you the opportunity for repentance, turning around and thinking a different way. Because I'm pointing out the things that they're not telling you in your regular churches. They don't tell you what the weightier matters are. Christ condemned the Pharisees because they were not attending to the weightier matters. Do you have a dispensation so that you don't have to attend to the weightier matters? No, there is no such dispensation. You, you do have to attend it, and one of the ways is by your stewardship that you attend to the weightier matters. So, if we, if, with all the use of that particular word, now there are similar words to that in the Greek, but we'll just deal with that specific one, and you'll find it in Luke, and it's Luke chapter 16. And if we start reading at verse 1, it says, And he said unto his disciples. So now he's talking to his disciples. He's not talking to the general crowd. He's talking to his disciples. And we know that Christ said, when he was asked about parables, why you always speak in parables? He said, because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but it is not necessarily given to them. So he talks to them in parable. But here he is talking to his disciples. And his disciples are the student ministers, the ones he's training up. And eventually, when they stick it out, they will be appointed a kingdom unto them. And, of course, we've been teaching people for many years. We have people come, and they get involved, and then they fall away. And, of course, that's that's what you get with a free society, that people can persevere and strive, or they can make excuses why they can fall away and they can fall away and they can come back but they come back they have to do it according to Christ they have to do it according to the ways of Christ and according to the commands of Christ to his disciples but anyway he goes on to say there was a certain rich man which had a steward 
And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. So the steward was not doing a good job. He was wasting. He uh, The steward was receiving goods, but he was wasting them. He was not managing the goods that he was receiving properly. And of course, that was one of his beefs with the Pharisees, is they they were not bearing fruit. They were collecting from the people, but they were not taking care of the people. Why he did the Good Samaritan parable and everything. That you had to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And you had to be considerate of the health of the people and the well-being of the people. And you had to be strengthening the poor. Because it's not enough to give to the poor. You have to give in a way that strengthens the poor. Otherwise, you're committing the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Just on and on and on. So what is... In the next verse, verse 2, he says, And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship. For thou mayest be no longer steward. So, here he is saying your stewardship. That's the word that is translated dispensation when Paul uses it. He's talking about you have to, you're not good stewards. And of course Christ said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from these guys who say they follow Moses. Don't know Moses. Because if they knew Moses, they would know Jesus. Because Moses and Jesus were teaching the same thing. They were in agreement. The Pharisees were not in agreement with Jesus because they were already not in agreement with Moses. They thought they were in agreement with with Moses, the same as many modern Christians think they're in agreement with Jesus, but it's my job to come and tell you to make straight the way of the Lord, to do it the way Christ actually said to do it. You're not doing it, and so I'm not. You know, I'm I'm bringing the message that could get me crucified. <laughs> so, but anyway, so he says, give an account of thy stewardship, not thy dispensation, thy stewardship. And then in verse 3 he says, Then the steward said unto himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg. I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So, in those three verses, we see that word stewardship that is translated dispensation when Paul says it, but it actually means stewardship. The management of the household. Because, remember, he, he give him goods and then he's wasting them. So, what does God give you? He gives you talents. You know, the, the whole gospel of the, you know, uh, of the talents. He gives you talents and one guy buried his talent. The other one invested it and the other one invested it. But the one who buried it had his talent taken away. So you've been given talents. You've been given life on this earth. You've been given a mind and a body and you've been able to make a living and and you're getting by, are you squandering your time, your energy, your talents? 
or are you applying them to the kingdom? To seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So anyway, you can go read uh, Luke 16. But basically this guy begins to forgive debt. So that he will become more popular with the people. You know, it's kind of a devious thing. <laughs> he's forgiving the debt. But because he's forgiving debt, he's also getting debt paid. You know, he says, how much do you owe? You owe 50? Well, pay 25. Paid in full. And that, that, but he's getting things paid because when it's 50 is too much. I can't pay anything. But when it was 25, yeah, I can come up with that. And so he's getting popular, but he's also being forgiving. And so he's counted as a good steward because he is forgiving. And so Jesus is telling who this? The stewards. The disciples, the trainee disciples who will be stewards. And so we see these uh, trainee disciples <laughs> doing this. And then later on we see Paul talking about this stewardship of his that was given to him. And how, wherefore, I am made Minister according to the stewardship of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Because you remember the Corbin of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. And Corbin meaning sacrifice. That means what people paid into the Pharisees, which actually went into their treasury. The same word Corbin is translated treasury also in the Bible. Uh, but it actually means sacrifice. So where your sacrifices is going, everybody's worried about. What, you know, somebody, I, I shared something on Facebook this morning about uh, uh, where people are getting, you know, that they're worried about all the tax. Uh, maybe it was last night, uh, late last night, that people are worried about all the taxes that they pay. And, uh, they, you know, they pay, I don't remember what she said, she was paying like 30 or 40%, 40%. And she says, what is the government doing with all that? So, but then she's voting for Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders, of course, under his tax plan, she will end up owing over 50% or more in taxes. So, and it's going to go to people whether they need it or not, because they want to have single-payer health care. If you have single-payer health care, I, I posted something that Stossel put together on that. People who could absolutely afford their own medical expenses will now take advantage of government-paid health care. They can, you know, if they need extra, they can actually pay for that themselves because they have the money to begin with. But all that burden falls on the government, which means all that burden will be passed down to the taxpayers. Therefore, the taxes will go up. I mean, it's like they want to pay off all the student loans. Well, that, that they should have never allowed to begin with. And if people were really smart, they wouldn't have gone and got. But they, they end up with all these student loans and everything, and now the government's going to pay them all off. Well, that means the people are going to pay them all off because the taxes are going to be put on them. And they don't even get it. They can't even think that far. But that's, of course, exactly what it said in First Samuel 8. That they're going to take and take and take and take and take. And now they're voting for guys <laughs> who tell them, we're going to give and give and give and give. But actually what they're saying is that we're going to take and take and take and take. 
so that we can give and give and give. And, of course, part of the taking, they'll keep. But really what they want is power. And power corrupts. So anyway, that that was an important part of this guy's whole confusion because once you understand that there is no dispensation, there is only stewardship, and the stewardship of the Levites is really the same as the stewardship of Christ. And there was no exemption. You know, he goes on in his uh, dissertation of talking about these things. He says, if the worshiper has not consciously entered the intellectual or moral plane of perception, he cannot fashion in his mind such a conception of a moral or intellectual character as belongs to the being of his worship. Well, he's talking about intellectual. That's the tree of knowledge. You don't need a high IQ to eat of the tree of life. As a matter of fact, a high IQ where you can accumulate lots of knowledge is nothing more than a greater temptation to eat of the tree of knowledge, to depend upon your intellect rather than the spirit. So this is the battle. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with intellect. It's just not to be the source. You have to be able to turn off the intellect and turn on the Holy Spirit. I tell stories, you know, I was, supposedly lost at sea. I really wasn't lost at sea. I just didn't know where I was. <laughs> so It's kind of like Daniel Boone said when he was asked if he was ever lost. And he says, no, I was never lost, but I was a might bewildered at times. <laughs> so, But what I did was I just, and, and I also in the Canadian North Woods, uh, I was a bit bewildered once as to where my car was. It was miles and miles away and I had to find it this thick, uh, swampy, wooded area. No roads around for miles and miles. If I took a wrong turn, I could end up, and there was no sun, uh, complete thick cloud cover, storm coming. So where was, where was the vehicle it was parked out on a dirt road. I had to find that dirt road in the car and uh, find my way back. And uh, I had to turn off my intellect. And I just became a living compass. Same when I was at sea at night in the dark with no lights, not even a flashlight. And had to go through shoals and everything. And I just had to uh, stand in the front of the boat and told my brother, Turn to the left, turn to the right. And I couldn't see a thing. You know, it was completely dark. And uh, we just we just made it all the way through. No incident. Because I listened to an internal guiding compass. And that, of course, that's what I do when I read the Bible, too. But you have to turn off your intellect to do that. And, and listen to the Holy Spirit. In order to do that, you have to be still and know. And these are things that you could be working on together with other people if you would sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because there is something mystical that takes place when you actually practice pure religion. Begin to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and free will offerings. If you don't do that, you can read the Bible till the cows come home and you won't know what it says. You have to do it. The guy goes on to say the doctrine of the Bible 
in this respect is that man in his natural state must be governed by force through fear or by hope through desire or, or for gain or advantage or some promised good if you would make him the good citizen or neighbor. No, that's not true. For one thing, the natural state of man is a child of God, walking with God. That's the natural state of man. The fallen nature of man is when he is cut off from God and not with God, not walking with God, not in the presence of God. And then if you, if you govern him by force and fear and hope of reward, you know, which is nothing more than bribery and prostitution, then there is no change of the soul. There is no change in the spirit. No, the only way is the way of Christ where we return to the natural way as we were meant to be, which means that we have to start. There is no dispensation. There is only stewardship. The, the, the word dispensation does not belong there. It's the word stewardship. It's your responsibility. Well, you're stewards of your family. If you're a husband and wife with children and then you suddenly find your marriage uh, unsatisfying to your fallen nature and so you want to divide and go off and look for another spouse, no. No, you're going against Christ. You're going against the teaching. And your mind will be shut off to the understanding of Christ because you've turned on the flesh. You've made the flesh more important than the spirit. And so you aren't being a good steward of yourself. You aren't being a good steward of your marriage. You aren't being a good steward of your children. You need to repent and turn around and go back and finish the job with your spouse and your children that you began. Now, whether you listen to me or not, you know, I'm not going to shame you back into that, but it, food for thought. You think things will get better as you betray the ways of God? Do you think things will get better if you elect a government that will force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare? Do you think that things will get better if you give men power to be your benefactor at the expense of others? No, they will not get better. They will only get better if you take back your stewardship of responsibility one to another. And the only practical way to do that is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So, this uh, Tiffany goes on to say some other things. Uh, every law must have its sanction in a penalty, which takes hold of the selfish in man. Without such penalty, it would be a dead letter upon the statute book. So what is the penalties that goes along with the Ten Commandments? Yeah, what isn't there a list of penalties? You know, thou shalt you know, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. What where does God mention the penalties? He says every law must have its sanctions in a penalty. But the Ten Commandments really doesn't have any extensive list of penalties. It just says 
So is the Ten Commandments law? Well, yeah, it's built into the system. The Ten Commandments is built into the system. Break the Ten Commandments, the penalties are built in. They're automatic. And I'll give you some examples in Genesis where we can see this set forth. But, you know, those penalties are built in. They they don't have to list them. There's no escape from them. But this idea that every law must have a penalty is going back. This guy is so far off from understanding the basic nature of God and the nature of creation. I don't know why anybody would even want to read his book. But remember, all scripture is giving, all writings, that's the word there. They translated scripture, but it's just writings are given for inspiration. So, we can read this and with divine inspiration by seeing where he goes wrong, we know where the right path is, which is what the Ten Commandments is really, a guidepost showing you if I'm killing people, if I'm bearing false witness, if I'm coveting my neighbor's goods, then I am in violation and not on the path. I am not following the way. And this is what wrong with modern Christianity. Most modern Christian churches say it is okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through the agency of government. You can desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor. To have somebody go to your neighbor's house and take away from your neighbor and your neighbor's children so that you can have benefits today. And that's okay as long as you do it through Caesar. No. There is no such dispensation. So anyway, the guy writes also, the common idea of the dispensation of Moses terminated at the coming of Jesus is a grave error. The dispensation of force and fear belong to the civil law or the law governing society. Well, he's kind of right there. But of course... The statute of Moses, and then once they decided to have a king, which is already a rejection of God, then civil law was born. And they began to have a Sanhedrin that was passing laws. That wasn't the job of the Sanhedrin. You can go to preparingyou.com and look up the word Sanhedrin and find out what the real Sanhedrin was. Because Christ appointed his own Sanhedrin. That was the seventy. That's where they, when they, they talk about Jesus sent out the 70. That was his Sanhedrin. He's the king. So he had a different Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin that was gonna try Jesus. No, that was, that was the fake Sanhedrin. That was the phony Sanhedrin. You know, I mean, it's kind of like what I, I pointed out in recent shows about Article 2, Section 22 of Oregon. of the people that are in the legislature passing laws have no right to be there. They're felons. They have to forfeit their office by law because they're in violation of Article 2, Section 22. There is no... They are occupying those offices illegally. Some of them are nice guys. But they're bearing false witness if they say, I'm a congressman, I'm a senator, I'm a governor. And they're not the real Sanhedrin of Oregon. <laughs> not real Congress of Oregon. And, but people are still falling for it. Because the people have become apathetic. 
it was an emphasis on pathetic. <laughs> they need to repent and think differently. They could solve this problem if they cared about their neighbor as much as they cared about themselves. If they were real Christians, they could solve this. You wouldn't need uh, 51% of the people. You you could do it with 30, maybe 20, maybe 3% <laughs> of active people could could overthrow the entire Oregon government and start over again. That doesn't mean that they, they'll get new guys in there who will keep their word, but... Uh, it, it would it would be a change. It would be uh, altering moment in the history, at least in Oregon. <laughs> but that's another story. Let's continue with Tiffany. He says, hence, the first covenant of God with humanity is manifest in the establishment of civil government. And such is the doctrine of the Bible when it commanded obedience to civil rules because they are ordained of God, said Jesus. Render unto Caesar. Well, there are so many errors in this. For one thing, when Jesus says, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, he also said, Render unto God the things that are God's. The reality was, at that time, a lot more things that belonged to God were becoming the province of Caesar. This is why Caesar was counted as a god. He was deciding what was good and evil. That's why you're seeing today that if you don't do things according to what is politically correct, you can be thrown into jail. You know, I talked about pastors who were worried about uh, new laws and new regulations. But they're not real pastors of Christ. They're not really doing things the way Christ commanded them to do them. And so we'll talk a little bit more about this, but then we're going to get into some real answers of structure, hopefully before we're done. Uh, so stay tuned and we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So dispensation is not dispensation, it's stewardship. And there is no dispensation, there is only stewardship, righteous stewardship and unrighteous stewardship. How will you know what righteous stewardship is? Then you have to eat of the tree of life. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit. And stop listening to your own vanity and the vanity of those who would bring you into subjection to them or their masters. Because you cannot serve two masters. So anyway, during the break, I actually added to our page Genesis 3. You can go there because I'll be reading from that at Preparing You. But uh, the, the reality is that this whole idea of the civil law. The civil law is the law that men make for themselves. That's the definition of civil law. Who did that? Who started making laws for themselves? Wasn't it Cain? Wasn't it Nimrod? Wasn't it even Adam in some way was deciding to decide for himself what was good and evil? Certainly Cain did. But now Cain brought in this other factor. He not only decided what was good and evil for himself. He decided what was good and evil for his brother. <laughs> and he killed his brother in the process. He bludgeoned him. And that's what people do every day. Modern Christians bludgeon their neighbor every day to extract from them the resources needed to provide them with benefits. They are willing to make their neighbors merchandise. And curse their neighbor's children with debt so that they can have benefits today for what they have not yet earned. 
That is not following Christ. That is opposing Christ. And the civil law says that's okay. And the modern church says that's okay. And that's not what Jesus was saying when he said, Give to God what is God's and to Caesar what is Caesar's. Because you're giving to Caesar what is God's. And that's, it was a trick question he was answering to begin with. Tiffany, or at least I, I see in brackets here in this, to love God supremely and the na- and thy neighbor as thyself. I actually, I think he typed this in. I don't think it was, it was the sum of the law. Absolutely. But it's not loving your neighbor to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare or to, to put your neighbor's children and your own children into debt so that you can have benefits today. And that is the policy of the modern Christian, that that's okay. It's not okay. Tiffany goes on to say in his instructions to his disciples and through them to the world, Jesus confined himself to those means and called them to those conditions which were clearly within their natural comprehension. Well, one of those things in his instructions was to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. To live by faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty, and not by force, fear, and violence. Even John the Baptist, everybody was doing it by fear. The civil law was taking care of the needy through forced contributions. Pharisees had started the same thing through their Corbin under the auspices of Herod the Great. But Jesus would not do that. He did not need a standing army to force the contributions of the people. So for often soldiers weren't very appreciative of Christ. And that's why they mocked him. But anyway, uh, it goes on to say, For said he, no man can serve two masters. No man can be under the dominion of opposite spiritual conditions at the same time. Loyalty to one of itself constitutes disloyalty to the other. Devotion to one involves abandonment of the other. Hatred excludes love. Falsehood excludes truth. Impurity excludes purity. Injustice excludes justice. And that's where you're at today. Because you are going according to a false gospel. So I said I would tie this into Genesis, and I mentioned Genesis for those of you who might go along and and read Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, of course, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? But anyway, this is where this temptation comes from. And there's a certain amount of metaphors in all this. But the reality is is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I don't know, do you have that in your orchard somewhere? Is there, if we look this up in Stark Brothers, could we get a start of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? No, these are metaphors. The trees were sources. If you go to the Hebrew language, trees were sources. So, now your source to decide what to do, what is good and what is evil, is going to be this tree of knowledge 
You're not, you're, if you want to know which way it is to your car in the North Woods or which way it is through the shoals and the, and the reefs, uh, when you're at sea, you can look, consult your charts, but if you can't see your charts, you're not sure where you are and you don't have, you know, your, and your boat is leaking. <laughs> and so you, how are you going to know where to go? How are you going to know what spouse to marry? Well, if you're already abandoning the ways of God, you will probably not be following the Holy Spirit. You'll be following the unnatural man, which has fallen to his animal nature rather than his godly nature, because he was originally made in the image of God where he could have access to the tree of life. You don't get access to the tree of life if you decide to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is what you see with modern religions. Oh, we're going to do the Sabbath and we're going to do this and we're going to wear this prayer shawl and we're going to, you know, we're going to keep all these rules, these external rules, which were all part of the statutes of Moses, which were really just trying to explain the laws of God. Why are you going the intellectual way of creating an intellectual religion with its checks a list of obedience. And you think that you're going to get some sort of dispensation. But there is no dispensation. There is only stewardship. There is righteous stewardship and unrighteous stewardship. And unrighteous stewardship is taking care of the widows and orphans through forced contributions. Through governments that exercise authority. Even though they call themselves benefactors, they really simply take away from your neighbor to provide you with benefits. That is so contrary to God, I shouldn't even have to bring it up. But when I bring it up, you can see the minds of the modern Christian turning off. Well, I'm looking for those whose minds and hearts will be turned on and realize they need to repent and think a different way. So, Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When God comes walking in, they go and hide from the presence of the Lord. They don't want to be in the light of the Lord because it exposes their weakness, their failing, their sin. Adam even tries to blame God for his sin. It's not my fault. It's the woman whom you gave us to me made me eat of the apple or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he's blaming it on the woman and he's blaming it on God. What he's not doing is taking responsibility for his error. His sin. His weakness. And it's pride that keeps you from that. So anyway, someone had asked me this week about Genesis 3.22. And uh, if if you go and you read that particular verse... And the Lord God said, Behold, man is become as one of us. This is right after eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God tells what's going to happen now. That people are going to have difficulties and they're going to have challenges and everything. There'll be thistles and and uh, you'll have to work by the sweat of your brow. Because you're not following the Holy Spirit. And so he, he tells them all this. And then it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. The problem with that statement is it does not say us in the original text. 
And I have an explanation up there. And I won't go through the whole thing. But basically to know good and evil. You know, even the comma is not there. Become at or someone who believes they know, understands good and evil. With his mind. Not with the Holy Spirit. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Live forever deciding good and evil. So you cannot, if you're going to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you cannot eat of the tree of life. So you have to put aside your vain intellect or you will not eat of the tree of life. Not so easy to do. You cannot fake this. You can fake not eating pork. You can fake, you know, keeping the Sabbath, even though you're not keeping the Sabbath as you take Saturday off or count your calendar days. None of that has anything to do with the Sabbath, as we've explained before. The Sabbath is about debt, and you're all in debt. You're all surety for debt. You're all merchandise. You've all been cursed by your parents, and you curse your children. You've all done that. Okay, now the time for humility to repent and turn around and go the other way. You won't go the other way unless you think the other way. And one of the other ways that you must think is that it is not okay to desire benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other. It is not to be that way with you. If it is that way with you in your church, if your pastor's saying that's okay, then you need a new pastor. You need a new shepherd. You need to go to somebody else. Or he needs to change. That's all there is to it. So, this tree of life thing. You know, and I explain in here that that word us is not in the original. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and the use of the word Yahweh, which we see here is uh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the word Yahweh, which means the existing one. And the existing one is the righteous one. Uh, right reason, divine will. These are all the same thing. I have links at this so you can go and study these things so you understand that right reason is the way of God. It, because He is right reason. You may have an opinion, I may have an opinion, but God's opinion is reality. It is right reason. It is divine will. And it is not divine will that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's there, but it is not to be your source of deciding which way to go, what to do, who to marry, who, where to turn. You need to be following the Holy Spirit. In order to follow the Holy Spirit, you have to be still. have to let that ego be still. Your own selfish desires be still. Your own vanity be still. And go this other way. And I'll put some more links on this page for your own studies. But uh, there is no uh, other way than to go the way of righteousness. And eating of the tree of life is you're barred from it and I also talk and I may add more to this study also about what the cherub is that is supposedly there they talk about that with a fiery sword facing in all directions and supposedly we're thinking that the 
the fiery sword is there to keep us out. This is the common interpretation. No, that's not right. It's to guide us back. He has a light facing all directions. He's a beacon to go back. And Christ was that beacon. I am the light. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the right reason. And he said, you see the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves benefactors. It is not to be that way with you. So there's the dividing line. I'm not saying do away with the government. Do away with your need for the benefits offered by men who exercise authority one over the other. And the only way to do away with that need is to come together, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and actually start tithing, because you're in tens, sharing in faith, hope, and charity with others, caring about your next congregation as much as you care about your own. You need, if your heart's only going to pump now and then, you're going to die. The heart has to pump every day. If if you pray every day, but your heart does not pump, you're still going to be dead. You're the walking dead. And your blood in your heart must pump for others as much as it pumps for yourself. And this is why you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to learn what it is to share your life, to lay down your life daily so that you can pick up life more abundantly. So all this has been to lead into the idea of structure. Because this is the stewardship of Christ was passed to the apostles and to Paul and to the ministers. You look out amongst yourself and find men you trust will point them over this matter. So the job of the church, I had a discussion with somebody, the, the job of the church is to empower others, not to get powers from others. I don't want you to go to sleep and listen to me. I want you to wake up and listen to Christ. I'm just pointing out what Christ said, what God said, what Moses said. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Don't covet thy neighbor's goods, even through the agency of the civil law. That's what you, that's the way you're supposed to be living. That is the way of the tree of life. Last line. See, I'd like to go in. And, uh, you know, during the last break, I actually went and added several more lines to this. But where it says, keep the way of the tree of life. The way is the way of Christ. That's what Christianity was called, the way. But that way was people sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, contributing daily, those that have shared with those that did not have enough. And the ministers were the stewards of that sharing. Because they would know who really has a need and who really doesn't. And you have to do this on a local basis. Because, you know, I get people that write me all the time, call me all the time, and tell me they have needs. I don't know them. I see people on the street with signs that says, oh, you know, I'm a vet. You know, I'm poor. I'm stranded. And then they go and change their clothes and get into a car and drive away. They're faking it. You're not strengthening them. You're enabling them if you give to them. Does that mean you give never give to anybody on the street? Well, you be very careful. Because if you're weakening the poor, 
you're committing the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because that is what it was. In a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. They weakened the poor. Which is why we didn't start with our... In the news, in the news this week was Baltimore. You know, I went through Baltimore way back during the... Uh, well, uh, I, I, I did go back there during the uh, whirlwind tour. But actually, I went back there to perform a wedding. And uh, uh, I was warned by everybody, don't go through Baltimore. <laughs> I was in Maryland. And I said, don't go through Baltimore. It's dangerous. And this was, this is decades ago. It was dangerous. It hasn't changed. So, uh, but it could change if the people change. The government change, that's not going to change. It, uh, till men change. That's what do they have to change the way they think. And if you think it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of civil government to get benefits today that you have not yet earned, then you're a part of the problem. And you're not a Christian. You're not following Christ. You have need of repentance. So anyway, like I said, we're all this so that we can get around to talking about structure. Well, almost all of our books are free online to anybody who wants to go and find them. You know, the Covenants of the Gods it shows that you have violated the first three commandments <laughs> on a regular basis and gone back to the bondage of Egypt. You have become merchandise. You have cursed your children and you've become a surety for debt. And we show you 15 different ways in which you do that in each of the different chapters. There is no solution in the book. It's just talking about the problem. The solution, of course, is Christ. And Christ came preaching the kingdom of God. So we wrote another book. Thy kingdom comes. His kingdom will come as his will is done. It's not God's will that you serve other masters to get benefits at the expense of your neighbor. It is simply not God's will that you do that. If you're doing that, you're going against Christ, you're going against the Father, and you're going against the Holy Spirit. You can tell me that you're listening to the Holy Spirit, but I look at your works and I say, no, because that's what it says, to judge them by their works. I see them coveting their neighbor's goods and forcing the contributions of their neighbor. They they wouldn't know the Holy Spirit if you ran up and hit them on the top of the head. They just don't know it. But uh, then I have other books, the Free Church Report, and uh, and uh, contracts, covenants, and constitutions, and uh, higher liberty. And I'm writing other books that I'm working on all the time, building up the websites, connecting them. But now, what is this going to do if you don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and actually start caring about one another? It's not going to do anything. Because this is this is just the written word of the inspiration that God has given me. But if you don't become a doer of that word, it will do you absolutely no good to read these materials. Well, I have another book that I don't put out for everybody. The Minister's Manual. And it, I don't feel that it's really completed yet. Uh, but it's getting closer to completion. There are some things that I can see that I need to add to it. But... Uh, it talks about the structure of the church and lays it out. Now, it has things like polities and and uh, a section on the structure of the church and church or state and uh, church defined by the world and the doctrines on doctrines and 
It's got all these different things that show up. And the position of the church. What do you think the church is? If I say the word church, what do you think? Oh, you mean like the building down the street? No. The word church means the called out. The called out were the disciples, the apostles. They receive special training to become the stewards of the kingdom. Well, the reality is they have nothing to steward unless the people are stewarding their own lives. They steward their own charity. They decide what taxes they want to pay to the kingdom of God. That that power is in their hands. It's not in the hands of the church because we can't exercise authority one over the other. We can only exercise authority over that which is freely given. Because we operate according to the perfect law of liberty. All these words are there and they're telling you this. But you don't get it. Some of you are starting to get it. But others of you are still caught up in your checklist religianity. You're not, you have no daily administration except the men who exercise authority one over the other. Or a token daily administration in your churches where you help out people occasionally when you see them. But that isn't what the early church was doing. So the church is the called out and they have duties and obligations and requirements. And the world has special rules for churches, but you realize this, that the world, when once you start understanding this, the world actually has left a pathway to the kingdom of God. They don't tell you where it is. And they actually put some obstacles up in the in your way. But if you're actually operating according to the Holy Spirit, you can you can navigate your way through the shoals and corals of the dark sea by following that Holy Spirit. But you have to turn off your intellect and not follow your intellect. But the truth is the way will be intellectually correct. Reason can explain where you turn and where you don't turn. But you don't always know where that is. You have to follow the Holy Spirit and occasionally the Holy Spirit will not give you the actual reasons that make this way the right reason and divine will of God. In order to test the inclination of your willingness to listen to the Holy Spirit. And say, not my will, but thine. You see, you have to shut your will off and listen to the will of the Father. Now, the problem is, there's a lot of evil spirits out there who will be telling you that, oh, it's the will of God that you change wives. Or it's the will of God that you abandon your children and go, and you've got all kinds of excuses. It's the will of God that you don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. It's the will of God that you... No. The will of God is pretty clear. You have to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. You have to lay down your life daily out of love for others. You have to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. These are the things that you should be doing. So anyway, in the minister's manual, we also go through... uh we have a number of different appendices that uh, will talk about the position statement of ministers and their status in the world. Christ was rich. He made himself poor. He required the same of the apostles. He also required that they own all things in common. 
while returning every man to his possessions and to his family. That's very important. If you want your possessions, you want to own your stuff, you got to return to your family too. <laughs> Not just your, you know, and take care of your husband and take care of your wife and keep the commitments that you made before God. And then God will bless you. If you don't, God will not bless you. You will find yourself cursed. And of course, that's where most people find themselves. So, we have lots of different sections that we cover in there. But eventually, we start talking about the very nature of the church itself. And the structure of that church. And that's that's what we're going to start getting into. So that you understand. And we actually have already started that just by knowing that there was a Sanhedrin and there were disciples, etc. But we'll be right back to finish these thoughts. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And so we're talking about structure, and everything in the universe has structure. Atoms have structure. Planets have structure. You have structure. If you didn't have the bones of your body, which are part of that structure, nervous system, you wouldn't be able to do what you do you inhabit your body with a spirit and that spirit is a part of the essential nature of your being the structure supplies one part the spirit supplies the other part and so you need to understand that Your structure has a purpose and there's a message in that structure. But you also need to understand and live from eating from the tree of life. Which will not only give life to your spirit and give you understanding and revelation. But will also give life to your body. So that you can do things that you otherwise could not do. So this is this is all part of how the kingdom of God operates in the world and we see Christ creating a structure he appoints he says I'm going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees I'm going to appoint it to my little flock uh, because the Pharisees aren't bearing fruit and I'm going to appoint it to, uh, to this little flock and he does but he says they're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles that they are to be separate and that they have to sell all of their personal estate And own all things in common. But this is the ministers of the church. Who are to be the stewards of the kingdom. A job that had been with the Levites. And through the Pharisees. And the Sadducees. And the Essenes. And a lot of the other groups. But it was going to be taken away from those. Who were not bearing fruit. Because they had turned this into a system of forced offerings. Because that's what had happened under Herod. You signed up. And you had to pay in. And then this caused people to do no more for their parents because they say, well, now go to the temple because I I give to the temple and the temple will take care of you. The individual sons and daughters were not taking care of their parents anymore. It was the job of the government. And that is going to make the word of God to none effect. And when the word of God becomes to none effect, then there's a serious breach of life 
So, we wrote down in the minister's manual, which you can't just get a copy. You want to get a copy. You have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You have to pick a minister, and that minister has to meet with other ministers on a regular basis. And he has to give an annual report, which is just evidence that, I mean, this is what, there, there was only one compelled tax. And that was compelled by God. And it was a half shekel, which is like a dime. Maybe even smaller than a dime. That was given annually. Once. That's it. Total. You're supposed to tithe on a regular basis. But that wasn't required. And all the, the half shekel is, is kind of ante up. I'm here. And so the annual report tells us who's in your congregation and what's going on in your congregation. And that would include books that you would keep as to what was received and what went out because of the fact that uh, that's part of our stewardship is to bring your congregation in conjunction with all the other congregations. And we do this through the ten centuries and thousands, which is why Christ commanded that the people organize themselves in that fashion. And the early church did so. It wasn't until the Church of Constantine that they began to stray from that. And it was still another six, seven hundred years before they began to squash the tens and hundreds and thousands and force everybody to bow to kings to serve these other masters. Because a thousand years after the fall of Jerusalem, the beast raised its ugly head again and you had uh, kings like, you know, Debullion and, and uh, Martin and Stephen and, and William the Conqueror coming about and compelling the allegiance of the people and the civil law was off and running. But then later on you had people offering them gifts, gratuities and benefits at the expense of their neighbor with people like uh, FDR and and Lyndon Baines Johnson and and you can go to all the other countries had the same kind of men offering benefits at the expense of your neighbor and everybody's just gobbling them up and now if you don't desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor if you don't want to sit and eat at the table of kings which is a snare you're considered a bad guy but anyway, so what we did is we look at all this and we put it in perspective according to the leading of the Holy Spirit and we wrote down the governing articles for a congregation of ordained ministers of the church. You know, ordained ministers are those who are following what Christ commanded his ministers to do, that they would have to do. And, and there's lots of ministers out there who, who call themselves ministers of Christ, but they're not doing these things. And they don't want to see them. So we're looking for those people who will, are willing to see them. So we have, uh, you know, Article 1, Article 2. And so all together there's like 10 basic articles. And they go through this basic structure of the church. But we don't just leave it at that basic structure of the church. We, we have other documents because as it is written, so shall it be done. So the articles, there's ten basic articles, and then there are internal accords uh, that talk about how, and all this is in conjunction with the biblical text. We have whole sections where we say, well, we're doing this because of this, this, and this, and this, and this. And we go through these different verses and show you what these words actually meant at the time. Because this is how the church was operating. They 
they were not getting the free bread of Rome anymore. They were sometimes paying taxes and you could get taxed if you passed through a certain road. So you had to pay uh, excise and tariff taxes on certain activities. And they paid those. But they weren't a members of the Corbin of Rome nor the Corbin of the Pharisees. They had a system operating according to the perfect law of liberty through faith, hope, and charity and had all the Christians connected through this gigantic network of tens, hundreds, and thousands, which is very difficult for anybody to trace who all the Christians were because this was an internal network. So when I get people calling me up and they say they want to meet with people face-to-face but they don't want to join the network, or they say, oh, the word network is not in the Bible, yet tens, hundreds, and thousands is a description of a network. Network is just our brief word of description. They call it the tens uh, at one time in history. Dutchens. That's why you, you have deacons. Uh, and we explain all this in, in books that are available to everybody. But the minister's manual is not available to everybody. It's available to ministers of viable congregations. Ministers who are actually doing the work and showing up. and can Because it if you're just showing up for your congregation, but not showing up for the congregation of ministers, then how can you be in the tens, hundreds, and thousands? You 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 care about your congregation, but you are supposed to care about the next congregation and you know the other nine congregations as much as you care about your own. So, like I said, we have these internal accords of the order. And when you go through them and read them, and I, I won't do a whole program on them because this is given to those who are the ministers of the kingdom. And not that they can't share it with the members of their congregations, but I don't I don't put it out on the Internet for people to read. Uh, it's It's a very private thing because... And why should I give it to other people when they themselves are not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands? So anyway, if we were to go through them, and I probably will eventually make recordings where I go through them, but those recordings will only be available to ministers. So if you want to see them, you have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and create a daily ministration that is constantly having blood pumped into it to take care of the needy of society. Because that's the way the early church operated. And that's the way, the only way back to Christ. But I also have other organizational documents. And, uh, and we use some of the words like common rules and disciplines, but Remember, we can't exercise authority of one over the other, as the Gentiles do. We're a different kind of government. And so, this also has some other letters that we got from other people, introductory letters, and we'll eventually have show basic uh, determination letters. We have some articles in the book on that. But the reality is, is that the ecclesia, the called out, The church, just like the church in the wilderness, were the ministers who had stewardship over what was freely given. 
if you don't give to them, then they have nothing to be stewards over. But the reality is that God will give them, and they can be stewards over that. But I can tell you this, they will be stewards over that for those who will step up, gather together, take care of one another, bless one another. And that's that's your role. We have to see, you know, because for some reason James wanted to know who had repented, who was, who who had real faith. And he said, well, by their works you'll know them, by what they're doing. You know, I, I, I was joined a couple of groups on Facebook that were supposedly home church oriented groups. And that sounded good because the early church was, you know, the early gathering of Christians was through home churches. The, again, but the word church is, is misused when to even say home churches. They're home congregations. Because the word church is the called out. They're not home called out. Their church is the called out. The stewards of God's, of what you give freely to God's ministers who were appointed a kingdom that was different than all the other kingdoms of the world. All the other kingdoms operate by force. But the kingdom of God operates by free will offerings. But if you will not sit down and offer, look out amongst yourselves, pick men you trust, and offer wisely and charitably on a regular basis, then the evidence to me is that you're not really seeking the kingdom of God. If you won't, you know, people, I can't find you all kinds of people who want to be free, who want out of the system. You know, they always start with, come out of her, my people, lest you be partakers of their sin. That's not where the gospel starts. It starts with seek ye, you know, repent, think differently. And seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's where it starts. And that's a process because most of you aren't doing that. So when you turn around and start doing it that way, you'll start, you will automatically start seeing things differently. But even doing that, you cannot do that without following the Holy Spirit. You cannot do that as an intellectual mission. You have to do it as a spiritual mission of following the righteousness of God and the ways of God and, and the character of Christ and the right reason of the Father. And so... The reason we were cast out of the garden, and we were literally driven out of the garden, and to some degree, you know, if, if you go back and read, read when he, you know, he talks about the thorns and the thistles, shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herbs of the fields, in in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, or dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, and because she was the mother of all living, and unto Adam also, and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe 
them. And that, you know, there's, this is a covering. Somehow or other, God set up something that covered them. And this is a little bit what the church is doing. It's to give you a covering. But you have a part to play in that. The Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. But he doesn't really say that man has become as someone who knows or thinks they know good and evil. And now, lest he put his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, they needed to do something. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he was sent out of this garden where the tree of life is. And he lost his ability to see even where the tree of life is. He he, he fell. His nature fell. He was cut off from what he should be having constant contact with, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit has come back but is he in you? Well, I, I know he's not, or I know he is, by what you decide. If you think it's okay to take from your neighbor, then I'm pretty sure that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the unholy spirit. But then it says, So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So that's why we're talk about following the light. Following the light of the way. And what is the way? You know, and, and the way, you know, I added to that page. If you go over to the pictures on the page, the way, you can look up the way. And it talks about the early church. And the church in the wilderness were both institutions of God called the way. The early church appointed by Christ rightly divided bread from house to house. That's what it says. That's what it tells us. He divided the bread from house to house. In a pattern commanded by Jesus. That was the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Through a daily ministration provided by charity and is required by pure religion. He had to do it by charity, not by the force of the world, not by the rulers of the world, not by the men who call themselves benefactors, but exercised authority one over the other. While the world offered free bread and what was called the wages of unrighteousness, those benefits. Those gifts, gratuities, and benefits are the wages of unrighteousness because they're not provided by free will offerings. They, they're provided by making slaves of your neighbor, turning your neighbors into human resources, making them, uh, bringing them back into the bondage of Egypt and making them surety for debt. That's what makes it unrighteous. So you can imagine me out there campaigning for a political office with that. We're going to take away all your benefits. <laughs> That's not going to get me elected in this country. But see, you don't need a majority to begin to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But you need a group of men who are willing to serve, 
without exercising authority one over the other. The table of the Lord is not a snare. The table of the world is a snare. David warned you. Paul warned you. Daniel would not eat of the table the meats of the king. That's where you, you need to be and that's where your ministers need to be. They would make them merchandise and curse their children. That's where you're at. The table of Christ was set by love and charity and provided hope through the perfect law of liberty. And that's why the truth shall set you free. But if you're not going to walk in the way, you're not going to become a doer of the word, then you will not be free. The, this Christianity was a alternative form of government. The church is defined as one form of government. It's a form of government that does not exercise authority, but it exercises stewardship. And that stewardship is how it takes care of one another through the love of the congregations. And how can you do that if you just have your little isolated congregation that is not gathered in hundreds? And how can you gather in hundreds when you won't meet with the other ministers and talk with the other ministers? Well, it's true that our our ministers are not doing everything that the early church ministers were doing, but that's because the people are not doing what the people did in the early church. Because they still have need of repentance. They're starting to turn around and think, we have a festival coming up at the end of the month. We have it every year uh, at the end of August or the 1st of September, whenever that particular holiday comes around, because it allows people to come for an extra day or two from a long ways off. And supposedly we're having people from New York and Pennsylvania and Idaho and I don't know where else. But they, they need to, you know, that come. Hopefully the ministers can come often enough and sit down and we, we get to know one another because when you start having the big projects of charity, you got to know what the judgment of the ministers are. Yeah, the honesty and integrity of the ministers. The reliability of the other ministers because it's through that stewardship that we can take care of the bigger projects. This living, and that becomes the living network. When people sit down and make a personal commitment, not with oaths, but with prayers and charity. That living record becomes a, the record of righteousness. And the church, the called out, can actually start doing what the church was intended to do. But we're a scattered flock. You know, out there on the desert, we've have, had the sheep out uh, on the desert. I've been watching them every day. got to go out immediately after the show and take care of them. But there was one sheep that was always standing off alone, separate from all the other sheep. And the other night, it didn't come up with the other sheep. And I went looking for it. I I couldn't find it. But, you know, it's hard to spot which one is which. There's a lot of sheep out there. But I wondered if she got in. And sure enough, the next morning, I came and she was laying outside the gate. She hadn't got in. She stayed outside the gate all night. Well, that's pretty dangerous out here on the desert with coyotes and bobcats and 
mountain lions and what have you coming through. But uh, yesterday she came up, but she laid down outside the gate when the gate was still open. And had to work to get her to go in. For some reason she stands far off from the herd. Well, you know, that's that's dangerous. Don't stand outside the gate. We're not blocking the gate. The gate's wide open. We're showing you where the gate is. We're showing you what the gate looks like. You have to start practicing pure religion. You have to start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. And we are commanded to make you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands before there will be any loaves and fishes. That was required by Christ. There is a message in that. In order to see that and hear that message in your heart and in your mind, you have to repent. You have to become that humble soul and stop blaming other people for your predicament. Stop trying to justify yourself with checklist religion. And start actually making a habit of caring about others as much as you care about yourself according to the structure that Christ laid down from the beginning of tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because it's no good if you just love those who love you. You have to love those who you don't even know. So, that's where we're at. And until then, I'm going to ask for peace upon your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.